Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Joyent, the only cloud service that's purpose-built to power today's real-time web and mobile applications. Joyent offers the most cost-effective public and hybrid cloud solutions available today. Here at 5x5, we host all of our web and app servers in the Joyent cloud, so we highly recommend you check them out and sign up for a free trial at joyent.com. I am pleased to have as my guest this week, Tim Stevens, a prolific tech blogger, car enthusiast, and racer, coder, and an outdoorsman. Uh, he is currently the editor-at-large, a, <laughs> an editor-at-large for CNET, <laughs> and, uh, and formerly the editor-in-chief of Engadget, uh, one of the larger tech blogs in the world. And uh, how you doing, Tim? I'm doing all right, Brad. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you, too. We, we, uh, we used to work together. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've had a chance to uh, to chat. Yes, I have enjoyed uh, several uh, chocolate milkshakes with you. Yes, well, you you had the chocolate ones. I always had the vanilla because I'm not a big chocolate fan, as it were. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I still associate you with chocolate milkshakes, but that's, that's fine. I, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so you, you're currently and have been for quite a while a tech blogger. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, um, I've been, boy, you know, I've been doing the freelance writing thing um, in the technology side since I guess like 97 when I was in college. I started doing video game reviews um, back when I was in college, which is like totally awesome, you know, college job. Uh, And then I just sort of kept with the the game review thing for a long time. And then blogging sort of became a thing. And uh, I sort of transitioned over the tech blogging thing. Uh, but I didn't really officially go full time on the blogging thing until about 2011 is when I switched over to to really shift you know my, my full focus to the to the journalism side of things. And, and journalism is an accurate uh, an accurate an apt description uh, because a lot of us consider ourselves tech bloggers and we spend a lot of time in our basements writing about tech. <laughs> but you you jet set you're like around the world covering the latest in technology. Yeah, I mean, blogging is definitely a bit of a nebulous term because it's just, you know, generally describes short form writing about whatever. Uh, So, you know, there's definitely aspects of journalism within blogging. There's a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of blogging over the years that I would not consider journalism, but there's certainly a lot of journalism that I've been lucky enough to do over the years. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I... uh, I definitely travel a fair amount. I was in uh, Tokyo last week digging in for some features out there and uh, acting as a judge for uh, SeaTech, which is the, the big Japanese tech show each year. Uh, and then actually tomorrow I'm heading out to um, Amsterdam for uh, a feature on, on BMW, actually. So, so yeah, I do tend to uh, tend to get some frequent flyer miles here and there. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you get enough frequent flyer miles to keep yourself in first class? Uh, I do for the domestic stuff, yeah, but it's pretty hard to get a uh, first-class upgrade through status these days. They've pretty well knocked that out through most of the airlines anyway. So, uh, so yeah, certainly if I'm flying domestic, you know, they'll have, like, the, the priority list of who's going to get upgraded first. And most of the time, I'm lucky my name is at the top of the list, yeah. That's cool. I, I, I don't enjoy travel enough to to want to make it to that point. But mm-hmm. if I did, I would appreciate the perks, I think. It's it's certainly very nice. And if ever, you know, I tend to fly Delta because they have the best connections through Albany and also because they've made the commitment to put internet connectivity in just about every one of their flights, which which for me is very valuable to be, to be able to be connected while I'm flying. Uh, so I've always prioritized Delta and that's where I have most of my status. And if ever I have to fly on United or some other airline where i don't have status it's it's yeah it's definitely a bit of a traumatic experience for sure (laughs) nice um let's see so do you get to write about cars much these days 
these days, I, I will be more, you know, I'm still kind of getting my feet wet here at CNET and, and kind of getting up to speed on things. But, uh, but definitely the plan is for me to be doing a bit more or more of the car journalism thing, which is something that I've always been very passionate about. But, but on a gadget, you know, it was always a bit of a, a bit of a challenge to make that fit. Uh, there were certainly, you know, opportunities, things like the Tesla Model S, you, you know, reviews of electric cars made sense, that kind of thing. Um, but certainly there's a lot of amazing stuff happening in the automotive scene that, that just wasn't a good fit at at Engadget, but it is much more of a fit at CNET because they do pretty much straight up car reviews, which is great for me. So, so yeah, I'm definitely planning to do more, more dabbling there. And in fact, the, the, the trip that I'm making tomorrow, I'm going to be checking out um, BMW's i3, which is their new electric car, which I'm very excited about. Okay. So, um, you've done, you've driven a lot of cool cars for, uh, for people who, who aren't familiar. Uh, you, ha- you have, uh, I've seen you in probably, uh, over the course of the last couple of years, a dozen cars that I will never dream of owning. I've been pretty lucky. Do you, what, what's your favorite newer model car? Like which one has impressed you the most? Um, well, I can never pick just one when it comes to cars. So I'm going to go ahead and go two. if you won't be too mad at me for that. Um, there are no one, rules here. Okay, cool. Uh, so the first would be the Model S, the Tesla Model S. Um, that's their high-end electric car. Um, and, you know, it's a great car for a variety of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons that I'm so impressed by it was because I, I also reviewed Tesla's previous car, the Roadster. And that was a fun little car, but it was it was kind of a mess in a lot of ways. The interior was terrible. It was uncomfortable. The, the heater barely worked. Uh, the range wasn't great. Um, it was fun to drive, but it was just not a car that I would ever really consider buying. Uh, but the Model S is such a huge step up beyond that. It's a really nice car. It definitely stands toe to toe with something like a BMW 5 Series or a Mercedes S Class, which are these you know really nice, well made cars from manufacturers who've been doing it for for a century or more. Uh, and here's Tesla, you know, a couple of years old, coming out with this amazing car built in the U.S., which is also amazing. You know, built in in California. That's a, that's a fantastic thing to me. So I was quite impressed by the Model S. The range is great. The performance is great. <clears throat> Excuse me. The handling is really nice. And uh, it's a pretty nice looking car too. So, so that uh, to me really, really impressed me just because it, it is an EV that uh, that I could really live with. <clears throat> and the other car that I would choose would be the Ferrari FF, which I also got to review not too long ago. That is a Ferrari that is pretty well suited for me because I live out in the country in upstate uh, New York where we get a lot of snow. <clears throat> There's a lot of dirt roads around here and a lot of gravel roads and a lot of, you know, messy conditions that your typical Ferrari would, uh, well, you wouldn't want to take a typical Ferrari on a gravel road, let's say <laughs> that. But the, the Ferrari FF has all-wheel drive, uh, so it handles really well in the rain, handles decently well in the snow, uh, tackles gravel roads really well. In fact, you can lift the suspension up, so if the road's really bumpy, you know, it, it's not going to be dragging along ground. It's, um, it's a great car. Uh, I, I was really privileged to have that car for about a week and, uh, and absolutely fell in love with it. So it's not your typical screaming Ferrari, um, but, but man, it's definitely the kind of car that you could have an amazing time on, uh, regardless of conditions, which, which for me is a pretty important thing. Nice. Uh, I, I bought um, an Audi TT Roadster a little very bit nice. ago. Yeah, yeah, very nice car. It, 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 is, it is pretty nice. It's convertible, which... I I don't enjoy driving that much, especially when there's a roof over my head. But a convertible is great in Minnesota in the summer. But I haven't taken it through a full winter yet. But I did buy it specifically because it is all wheel drive. 
Yeah, that's another one of those cars that's a lot of fun to drive in the summer. <clears throat> you can have a lot of fun on a dry road, but when the snow comes down or when the rain comes down, you can still have a great time with it. I typically drive Subarus because they are cars that are very fun to drive in the snow. And they're very fun cars to drive in the dry, too. So um, to have both both things like that is pretty important to me. I think the TT is a great car for that, too. Are you familiar with, and I don't mean to go too far into cars here, but are you familiar with Volkswagen's DSG engine? Or, or their clutch? Yeah, the double clutch. Yes, absolutely. That's a pretty impressive thing. What does DSG stand for? Uh, boy, that's probably a German phrase. So, <clears throat> um, boy. Sickle, Geischen, Heisens, Bits and Sparken. I know that the Porsche one is called PS, P, PDG, which I think is Porsche Doppelkuppling, well, which, which is double clutch. Uh, basically, the way it works is the car effectively has two transmissions and two clutches. So all the odd gears are in one transmission and all the even gears are in the other transmission. And typically when you shift a manual car, you're basically engaging the clutch. So you'll, if, if you need to shift, you know, you put your foot on the clutch, you shift into the next gear and then you take your foot off the clutch. What the car does for you is it'll engage first gear in one transmission and engage the clutch so that you're using first gear in that transmission. But simultaneously, it'll engage second gear in the other transmission, but it'll leave the clutch open so that that transmission isn't really connected to the drivetrain of the car, so it's not really moving you forward. That way, when you flip the, the little paddle on the right side of the steering wheel to say, give me second gear, all the car needs to do is disengage the, the clutch on one side and engage the clutch on the other side, and suddenly you're in second gear just instantaneously. You know, it's a matter of milliseconds. That sounds exciting. It's, it's pretty damn cool. So then at that point, you know, you're in second gear, and it can then upshift to third gear in the other transmission freely. And whenever you're ready to go, it again just flips over from one transmission to the next. So that's how you can shift incredibly quickly in those cars. It's pretty impressive. It is. And I have a friend who owns a, uh, a diesel version of the – I can't remember which model it is, but it's a Volkswagen with that transmission in it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was really impressed uh, with, with the pickup and the 0 to 60 on that thing. It was pretty outstanding. Yeah, I can shift pretty quickly. I have all manual transmissions in my cars, and you know I can shift probably under a second from first to second. But you know, in a double clutch transmission, you're talking about milliseconds, which is which is amazing. Uh, you know, I definitely am a big fan of having a clutch pedal and you know manually shifting and rev matching and double clutching and all that good stuff. But um, but definitely, we're at a point now where technology has has kind of made that obsolete, which is a little bit sad. <laughs> Uh, I would I would agree. I I have driven manuals ever since I was I think 17. Mm-hmm. But uh but I did drive an EOS EOS mm-hmm. with the uh what do they call it assisted automatic like mm-hmm. basically it's an automatic that you can you can downshift on. Yeah. I had a lot of fun driving that. It almost made me realize that sticks are fun, but they can be a hassle. They can be. And uh I was lucky enough to do a Porsche a driving school a couple of years back, and uh, the instructors there actually, they've gotten to the point now where they, they put the car in automatic because, you know, the Porsche doppelkuppling system, you can say, give me full automatic, so just shift for me or let me shift when I want to. Uh, and they've gotten to the point where they just believe in full automatic, and they say they're actually quicker uh, leaving the car to do the shifting than shifting themselves. And, you know, if a professional driver is saying that, then, then ultimately, <laughs> if, if you're shifting yourself, you know, that's fine. Go have fun. But but if you're really interested in being quick, uh, then then you know that that time has come. Wow. All right. Well, you obviously are more well-versed in cars than I, but I will probably. You helped me buy uh, tires recently. I appreciate that. Very happy to. Yeah, if ever very benevolent. Advice, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> Sounds that goes great. for all your listeners, too. 
<laughs> we'll put the phone number at the uh, end of the show Absolutely. notes. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't get my sponsor scripts. Uh, we're recording this early because Tim has quite the travel schedule. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to, that's not a problem. Uh, we're going to take a break and some sponsor is going to fill in right about now. Our first sponsor today is Hover.com, Simplified Domain Management. You probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in. Hover makes it easy. Just type in a few keywords and Hover will figure out some available domains for you using those keywords like magic. There are a lot of dot whatever choices out there, but Hover has some really great ones like .NET. .NET is a popular extension but still has so many domains available. You can get the one that you're looking for. The coolest part is that it naturally stands for Internet. Hover just keeps getting better because they now offer Google Apps. You can now add Google Apps to a new domain or one you already own on Hover. There is the deal. You get everything you already love about the full suite of Google's productivity apps, Gmail, Calendar, Drive, Docs, the whole package, but you know Google is a huge company, so they can be hard to get a hold of for your questions and concerns and support needs. That's the best part. You get everything you love about Google Apps, but with the outstanding support of the team over at Hover. People already love and trust Google Apps for Gmail's 25 gigabyte storage and how easy it is to collaborate with chatting and file sharing and it's a great solution for businesses. But also families and groups who want the ability to share all kinds of stuff. If you're still not quite sure Google Apps is for you, they're offering a 30 day free trial to see what you think. Hover has real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. Use the code DANSENTME, or visit hover.com slash DANSENTME, and you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com, baby. Wow, that was a, a great sponsor. Thanks buy to that, that sponsor. Products. Absolutely. Uh, we would we would converse about it um, if we knew what it was. Mm. But uh, so so you've got tech, you've got cars. Um, you, you're you're pretty outdoorsy. You recently bought and featured a uh, a new like a wood uh, like a splitter or an axe. What uh, was it's, that? It's technically a mall, actually. <laughs> a it's, mall. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a very heavy type of axe that it's like a. Uh, I'm kind of looking at it, right. It's, it's like a, a half a sledgehammer on one side and, and a, an axe on the other side. So you can use it for for splitting wood, um, but you can also use it for hammering in. They make these wedges that you can kind of hammer into the center of a giant uh, uh, log round, and it'll kind of split the round up into smaller pieces. So you can use the back end to sledgehammer in those wedges, or you can use the front uh, end for for splitting wood. So yeah, I just I had to invest in a Swedish axe because there are so few companies left in the world that are actually making high-quality axes. You know, they're all kind of like mass-produced stamp things that, that kind of fall apart. So 
it's kind of a sad state of affairs if you're into that sort of thing, which not many people are, which is why there are so few companies making axes anymore, I guess. So have you ever gotten into axe throwing? I have. I have, as a matter of fact. That does yeah. not surprise me at all. Are you it's, good at it? I'm not very good at it at all. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that, like, I, I take my dogs out, you know, a couple times a day, and I just kind of go wander through the woods with them. And, uh, and at some point, I just... I picked up a little tomahawk just to help me clear the the brush um, from um, from my trails, and at one point I started throwing it at this dead tree and realized how much fun it was. So I built this little stand for this this log round that's about eighteen inches around. Uh, I kind of propped it up uh, off the side of my house, basically, so that if, if I was taking my dogs out and they were kind of sniffing around, I could just stand there and throw the axe for a while. So I get to the point where I could stick it just about every time, but um, accuracy is is still eluding me at this point. I need more practice. And what size what size axes are you throwing? Are these full fledged axes? No, I'm no, I'm not quite that burly a man. I, I'm sorry to say it, it's a tomahawk, so it's probably about uh, eighteen or twenty four inches long, something okay. like that. So it's it's pretty small and uh, and lightweight. I got into uh, knife and like hatchet basically throwing when I was yeah. way too young to be handling knives and hatchets. <laughs> uh-huh. But I did get pretty good at it, uh, especially with the little fingers, throwing so knives. Well, I no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I picked up some throwing knives too, um, just just for kicks, and I uh, they elude me still. I can do pretty good with a tomahawk, but I I cannot throw the knives at all. They they bounce off half the time. Well, yeah, the weighting of of the axe is easier to get the uh, the timing on the spin right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, how do you, it's, it's a ton of fun though. It it is it is it's uh it's almost. It's almost like it's relaxing without actually having to produce anything. It's, <laughs> it's a game. It's a game. It is. And if you screw up, you know, it, it takes you about, you know, 30 seconds to throw. If you have three knives, it takes about 30 seconds to throw three knives. And if you miss, then, oh, well, you go pick up your knives. And then you've got another 30 seconds to try again. It's, um, yeah, it's very relaxing. It's, it's almost zen-like because you've got to get the motion just perfect. And you've got to, you know, get your distance perfect. And, there's a lot of thinking, but there's also not a lot of thinking. So it is definitely kind of a, a nice way to clear your mind. Excellent. Um, so I, I, I found your response to this question in the pre-show uh, fairly in, entertaining. Uh, would you consider <laughs> yourself an outdoorsman? Uh, I, I would, uh, but interestingly, when I was younger, I didn't. Uh, so I grew up in the wilds of Vermont, um, and pretty much, you know, when you live in Vermont, there's a good chance you probably live on a decent amount of land. So when I was a kid, I would just take my dog and take my BB gun, and I would just kind of go out for wanders in the woods. You know, if I had my gun, I'd be shooting at icicles in the wintertime and just kind of improving my aim and that kind of thing. And when I got a little bit older and, and moved to uh, to New York, I would meet people who would say that they love to go hiking and they love to do outdoorsy things. And I would always go, no, nah, I'm not really into hiking or anything like that. Uh, but then finally somebody took me hiking, and I realized it was just – going for walks in the woods, which is what I had been doing for my entire childhood. So, so yes, uh, I am an outdoorsman. I do enjoy hiking. I do enjoy all, all those things. But to me, that was just part of life. I didn't really think it was anything, anything special until I moved out of, out of uh, Vermont State into New York State, which is, of course, a very, very big shift for me as a kid. Sure. I wonder how many like, city dwellers uh, move to the country and become like, self-professed outdoorsmen uh, versus how many people just it grow up with it being second nature? 
You certainly see a lot of that in Vermont. Um, there are, are a lot of people who would, you know, make a fair amount of money in the city uh, and then go buy like a bed and breakfast or something like that and, and move to the country and kind of run that as, as part of their retirement. So we'd see that quite frequently in Vermont. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of folks, you know, we'd call them flatlanders or city slickers or that kind of thing for sure when I was a kid. Um, but it's a common thing. And, you know, it's, it's something that I, I hope to be able to do someday if indeed I ever get to retire. Uh, it's to do the same sort of thing. Go buy a house up on a hill in Vermont somewhere and, um, and forget about life for a while. I can't see you being the bed and breakfast kind of guy. No, I'm not much uh, for making breakfast for other folks. My wife is sure. Uh, <laughs> and sure, I'll scoop my dog's food down, that kind of thing. But um, but uh, but no, I'm not really much into entertaining, actually. I, uh, I wouldn't have pegged my uncle. Uh, he's the eldest in the family and mm-hmm. uh, formerly like used to work on uh, nuclear submarines. Wow. And he's he's a he's a burlier guy. And and he's he's got he's he's got wit. The, out of the entire family, his sense of humor is closest to mine, which is very dry. And I wouldn't have pegged him as the bed and breakfast type. But for mm-hmm. a long time, he and his wife ran a New Hampshire bed and breakfast, and they were really good at it. Wow. Re- like there, I stayed there. I think I only got to stay there one time. Mm-hmm. But it was it was an amazing experience. They were the best hosts I could imagine. Huh? Do you remember uh, what town it was in? I don't. They just recently sold it. Um, if someone said it, I'd probably recognize it. But uh, it was they were it, it was I can't remember the name of it. But it was the Terpstra's Terpstra's bed and breakfast. That wasn't the name of it, but it was owned by the sure. Terpstra's. So yeah, no, it, it's uh, you know I love the Northeast for sure, and uh, you know there are certainly a, a lot of things that I would you know hate doing more than bed and breakfast for sure. But that's not exactly high on my list of. Of goals for retirement. My mother, on the other hand, you know, she would love to run a bed and breakfast and she would be, you know, fantastic at it too. So, but not for me. No, I don't think so. It takes a certain amount of, uh, uh, gregarious, eager to please personality. Yes. And attention to detail and lots of things that I'm, I, I lack for better <laughs> yeah, or worse. myself as well. <laughs> um, so how long have you had dogs in your life? Boy, I grew up with dogs, so we had a uh, a big old floppy sheep dog when I was real little, uh, and then we had a couple of Lhasa Opsos uh, when I was a little bit older as a kid. But unfortunately, when we moved to New York, we moved to this is Albany, New York, not New York City, by the way. Uh, we moved to an apartment that um, didn't allow dogs, so sadly, my my pooch had to stay behind with my grandfather, which of course was very traumatic for fourteen year old me. Uh, and then I went for boy, probably. 12 or 13 years um, without having a dog in my life, just because I was mostly bouncing around between apartments at that point and traveling a lot for jobs and yada, yada. Uh, and then I got married to my wife and she was always a cat person and, and she had a very strong dislike for dogs. So that made it a bit of a challenge too. Um, but then it, it, it sort of turned out that she had just never really been around dogs that much. So as soon as I started to express an interest in getting one and, and we started to meet some dogs, she was suddenly pretty into the idea. So so then we got our first dog, Bowser, I think about seven years ago. Um, so so most of my life, yeah, I, I mean, I had dogs as a real little kid and there was a bit of a gap in the middle. And now I'm happy to have uh, two two great pooches in my life. I, uh, I was the opposite uh, coming into this uh, marriage of mine. Yeah. I, I was a cat guy. I mm. loved cats. They're so easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. They are very easy, especially if you're traveling. And uh, and my my favorite cat, my college, my, my the cat I rescued from mm-hmm. a gutter. 
got mm. he was killed by a dog. Um, oh, she was sense. killed by a dog shortly after having a litter. Um, wow. And so I wasn't I'm not I w- I've never been anti dog. I grew up with dogs. Mm. But when I met my wife, she if you know anything about Aditi, she is a she's a dog trainer and mm. uh, and a dog lover. And she came into the relationship with a large German Shepherd female. And uh, and since then, we've always had dogs, and I've come to absolutely love having dogs around. I couldn't yeah. couldn't do it couldn't do it without them these days. Absolutely, I couldn't either. I mean, it, it's it's it doesn't matter what time of day or night that I walk in the house, and quite often it's you know two or three in the morning after flying back from Europe or something like that, and always my dogs are right there, and they're very excited to see me, which is you know exactly the same thing. If I walk in the house for five minutes, they're right there, very excited to see me too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's great. I mean, they um, they're always always up for going out for a walk. They you know are always reminding me if it's if I've been sitting at my desk for too long that they're kind of bringing their toys to me and that kind of thing. Uh, they're definitely great reminders that there's you know a, a lot of great exciting things that you could be doing uh, and it's important to to kind of remember that uh, and yeah I, I love taking them out for walks every day uh, you know I'm lucky enough to have a nice piece of property that I can go out for walks with them on and um, yeah yeah they're they're absolutely great and I know that you you guys are, are very active in the rescue community which is which is awesome because uh, there are so many great dogs out there that just need um, just need a home so definitely that's definitely, definitely something that's um, very important to me too do you take your dogs for drives yes they love drives thanks I'm very thankful for that because I you know, like to drive. So if, <laughs> if, if we had one of those dogs that kind of got violently ill or anything, whenever you put it in a car, that would be a bit of a challenge. But yeah, my, my older dog, Bowser, he um, sort of stands on the back seat and stands on the armrest between the front seats. And he, he's gotten to the point where he can actually read the road. Uh, and I actually recorded him doing this because I wasn't sure if I was just imagining it. But he'll, he, he can look ahead and see the corners and he will lean into the turns yeah. uh, as I'm going really quickly, uh, which is pretty awesome. So he'll, he'll, with his big smile on his face and his tongue hanging out, he'll be leaning through the corners, which is, uh, which is pretty awesome. Emma definitely does that. She, uh, she's just tall enough in my convertible that if she sticks her nose straight up in the air, it's just above like the, <laughs> the windshield. So she, she uh-huh. picks up the wind, like the airstream and she yeah. loves, but she does predict the curves and she knows when to tuck down and brace herself. And <laughs> they're, they're fairly it's intelligent. They yeah. are very intelligent dogs or very intelligent creatures for sure, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. It, it's great to, um, to have them learn things and to watch them kind of figure things out and to, uh, to train them. Things is a lot of fun too. We, we did a lot of that with our first dog, Bowser. We, uh, my wife did full agility training with him so he can do, you know, running over a teeter totter and through a tunnel and, and all that amazing stuff. Uh, our second dog, Yoshi, we haven't made quite that same investment with, but then again, she doesn't quite have the, the mental acuity of our first dog either. So she's a little bit more challenged in that regard. Nice. We made it through that whole little bit of conversation without me ever specifically mentioning pit bulls. That's impressive. That is impressive. We both own pit bulls. (laughs) We're both very fond of the breed. So, uh, so yeah. And everybody should be as well. I think, I I think they should. And it's amazing how people are coming around like the media and, and the general uh, kind of attitude towards pit. It's been a long time since I had to like, debate anybody on whether they were like vicious dogs that should be banned or not yeah yeah i I mean there's definitely a lot of breed characteristics for sure i I mean you can kind of get a feeling for what kind of uh dog is based on what kind of breed it is but but there's nothing that makes a dog inherently vicious or inherently mean or anything like that you you know some breeds a little bit more protective than others sure and they might act a little bit differently but um but yeah our our pit bull is she's the the she's much more of a lover than our other dog who's a kind of a collie shepherd chow mix Um, but yeah our our 
Fuchioshi, she's our pit bull. She's, she'll flop right over and show her belly to pretty much anybody. And she just wants to lick everybody's hands. And she's, she's a great pooch for sure. But yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen as much uh, as I had in the past for sure, but there's still a lot of kind of ugly legislation floating around there too, which makes me nervous. The, uh, the, the one breed characteristic that I do tout about pit bulls is the, uh, the licking. Yes. They, 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 it's incessant. Uh, we, we, we have tags for our dogs that say, can't hold my liquor. <laughs> do, do yours whine as much as mine does, or is that just a, you know, um, she, she has recently started, uh, like our, our, the one, our permanent resident mm-hmm. has recently taken to sitting in front of my chair in, in the evening mm-hmm. and just doing, uh, like a very audible whine, not like the German shepherd we have and in very common in German shepherds is this high pitched, like it sounds like a hearing test tone mm-hmm. that they can make with their mouths closed. Mm-hmm. And that one drives me nuts. Emma will <laughs> do her whine and it'll be n- completely not apparent what she wants. So I'll ask her, do you want to go outside? Do you want to play? Do you want to tug? And if her ears don't perk up for any of those, I just mm-hmm. tell her to go lay down and she does. So it's not incessant, but the licking is. Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, Yoshi will, will kind of make this sort of a, it, it kind of goes between like a play growl and a whine. And, and it sort of sounds like she's gargling half the time. Which the, is do, does she poopy. do the harumph? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which is the funniest, stupidest thing. It's, it's hilarious. And yeah. And she'll just sort of do, do that in your face and put her paw in your lap. And uh-huh. you know, yeah, we're probably getting a little too deep in the dog stuff, but, um, Maybe. but yeah, if you don't have a dog, uh, go to your local rescue <laughs> home tonight. Well, let me you know, swing this back around. So you have this, this range of, uh, kind of personality traits that go from like outdoorsy, and and almost like mountain manny to <laughs> mountain manish uh-huh, to sure. to like high tech blogging and and uh and just following the cutting edge of things does that does that merge together aside from an affinity for like swedish axes is there a tech outdoorsy uh kind of middle ground at all i don't know that there is for me it's almost like um I don't want to say blowing off steam because that's not quite right, but but it, it you know in the engadget days those were very very high pressure days, long hours and that kind of thing. And for me, the way that I sort of stayed sane was if things were getting a little too intense, I would take fifteen minutes and take my dogs for a walk, and I'd go out in the woods, uh, and I would just sort of you know be in the woods for a little while, and that was how I sort of would calm down and uh, and kind of get centered again before I would dive back into the fray again. So. So, I mean, I've always had a passion for technology, even since I was a kid, you know, teaching myself basic on a, on a Commodore or an Atari when I was a little, um, you know, so that's always been a part of my life, but, but the, the, the country and nature has always been a part of my life too. So I don't really think that they are in any way connected. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of some way that they are. And, and ultimately, you know, it's a challenge. Like we had to bring cable out to my house because it, it had dial up internet before, and that was obviously <laughs> not going to fly for me. So it's just it, it, it's an additional challenge, I think, living out in in the country. But for me, it's just you know something that I, I can kind of put the tech side uh, and I can put the social media aside and I can put everything else aside and go out in the woods or go out and split some wood if I need to or go cut down a tree if I want to. Uh, and it, it definitely helps me to um, to stay to stay standard. I think. So you're not uh, you're not hiking in Google Glass or anything. No, I thought about that, but um, but 
you know, hiking is can be kind of miserable at times. And I didn't know that I wanted a big hunk of plastic on my face uh, all that long. You know, I'll definitely go to the top of the mountain and take some pictures for sure. But um, but but plus hiking is not that exciting. Nobody wants to watch somebody drag themselves up a trail. I'm glad you appreciate that fact. <laughs> There's a limit to all things, Brett. Yes. Yes, there is. All right. Um, I will take our second sponsor break here, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be really exciting. Harvest is a beloved time tracking tool and invoicing tool for creative professionals and teams. If you want to do great work, let Harvest take care of the back office tasks so you can focus on delivering your best to your clients. Time tracking is easy with Harvest. Simply start a timer from your web browser, desktop, mobile device, and now, right from your favorite project management tool like Basecamp or Trello. It's the most painless way for you and your team to enter time. Harvest has other great features like visual time reports to help you get your project done on time and within budget, ensuring a successful project and a happy client. You can even do invoicing, and with just one click, you'll get a professional-looking invoice with multiple payment options accepted, so you'll get paid for all your valuable work. Harvest also has really cool video highlighting how an agency can utilize their service to do great work for their clients. Go to getharvest.com slash 5x5 to watch the video and start your free 30-day trial. After the trial period, use code 5x5 at checkout and receive 50%. Oh yeah, off your first month. Okay. That was that was awesome. That was amazing. I, I may have brought Barry back for that one. I don't did you ever hear any of the early episodes where I would uh do a three semitone drop on No. Mr. White would make a visit? Yes. Wow, no, I never heard those. So if that just happened. I apologize to the sponsors, but it it's popular demand. I get requests every week. Bring Barry Don't back. Apologize to the ladies though, because I'm sure the ladies love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So that brings us to the top three picks. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I'm I'm ready. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, this we go. First. We'll go round robin, okay. one at a time. So go ahead and tell me your first pick. So my first one. I know you just had Merlin on, and he picked one. They picked the same one as well. Uh, but I'm going to pick it again for different reasons. So my first one is Strava, which is one of my favorite apps. Um, Merlin mentioned that he used it for walking, but but Strava actually kind of got to start as like a uh, a road biking social network almost. Uh, so. What you can do is you can track your walks or your runs or your bike rides or hikes or whatever you want to with it. it it's your typical fitness tracker. Uh, but what makes Strava interesting is that it's got a real strong bicycling focus. Uh, so it'll be you can track your cadence and your heart rate through there if you have the appropriate sensors that you can connect to your phone. But the really interesting thing, the really, really interesting thing is that you, you can go online and you can define uh, segments on the roads that you ride. So if there's a particularly challenging climb near where you live and where I live, there's a lot of very challenging climbs that leave me feeling like I want to puke when I get to the top of them. You, you can define that on a map and then you can find out all the other people using Strava who've also gone up that climb and see how long it's taken them to get up to the top of that climb and how long it took them and their average pace and, and everything else. Uh, and then it sort of creates this almost gamification of fitness. Uh, so now you're not only just out there um, – kicking your own ass up that hill. Now you're out there trying to kick somebody else's uh, ass up that hill uh, and it makes it much more entertaining. I sadly am always the one getting my ass kicked. Um, 
but it does make it much more entertaining than just just riding up a hill. And, and so there's like a segment near me that's called Big Ass Dog Chasing You, uh, which I thought was very funny <laughs> the first time I saw that. But then I went out and rode that segment. And lo and behold, a big ass dog comes running out of the woods and chases me up this hill, which is a very good actual form of encouragement to getting up the hill. But, you know, there's, there's kind of funny, unexpected things like that that you find. So if you are a road biker, uh, I highly, highly recommend Strava. It's available on Android and iOS. Uh, and they've got a pretty nice website, too. I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. I, I really, like I told Merlin, been enjoying my Fitbit, but it doesn't have those. Uh, uh, it's not gamified to the same extent. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's for steps. It's a pedometer, essentially. Right. And uh, and I'm supposed to be using it as a sleep tracker, but I get embarrassed by how little I sleep. Mm. And, so. and I was never really convinced that those were very accurate for sleeping. Right? Because I did the review of the first Fitbit, and I remember lying in bed for 45 minutes one night and, and the next morning checking my sleep, and it, and it had shown that I was fully asleep for those 45 minutes, and I knew that I wasn't. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm still not convinced those things are quite accurate. <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't given it a fair shot, but uh, but yeah, I, I had the same experience with the early sleep trackers. There was actually one that was an iPhone app, uh, easy wake alarm or something like that, mm-hmm. and it uh, you'd you'd put it on your pillow and it would use the oh I remember that yeah it would, yeah like the accelerometer to determine whether you were restless mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. yeah that that seemed like a good idea it actually seemed to work all right. But yeah, it's definitely a great concept for sure. But I think that they, you know, I'm surprised that nobody's come out with a, like a real affordable EKG kind of machine that you could put on quickly before you go to bed, attach it to your phone over Bluetooth or something like that, so that it could actually legitimately know if you are asleep uh, and then actually do that sort of thing right. I think that would sell like hotcakes. And I would imagine that if somebody made the investment, they could do that inexpensively. But, um, you think? but nobody's done that yet. I don't know. That would, would be, that would be, yeah, I would too. That would be crazy to watch like EKG patterns and fascinating awesome. stuff. Yeah. That would be awesome. Somebody get on that. All right. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, my first pick is also a repeat. Um, we had the developer of this app, Craig Scott, on in episode 61. I say we, I mean I. Um, and I also, it was a pick of mine. Yes. Uh, it was a pick of mine in episode 59. Um, but I'm repeating it because it's been updated. I should go ahead and say it's I thoughts X, which is the Mac version of, uh, previously it was only available on iPhone and iPad as I thoughts HD. Um, and it's a mind mapping application and it falls in this $60 range, which is a perfect in-between between, um, uh, something like Mind Manager and something like uh, MindNode. Mm. Uh, MindNode being the, the less expensive, lower-feature-packed uh, version, uh, but a great entry point. And iThoughts X now, has it's got full sync with the iPad and iPhone stuff, but it added things like tab-indented pasting. So you can have kind of like a markdown outline. In fact, it handles markdown too. And -hmm. when you paste it into a mind map, it creates all the nodes based on the indentation. Hmm. And then it has markdown export. So you can turn a map easily with, uh, you can configure how many, what levels are headers and what levels become bullet lists, which is perfect for the way that I brainstorm in a mind map. And he added OPML export. So it's, basically fully compatible with any other decent mind mapping application out there. Sweet. And uh, I I figured it was worth mentioning again, just because those were the 
few complaints I had about it to begin with, and they have all been resolved. Sounds awesome. It is pretty awesome. Go ahead with number two, though. All right. I'm, I'm sticking with like a personal wellness slash fitness angle because my top two were fitnessy, so I figured I might as well make it three. But uh, number two is uh, it's called Sufferfest, which is available on iOS. But I'm actually going to tell you that you should not download the app. You should simply go to the website and download um, the content directly. So Sufferfest is basically a series of cycling training videos which for me are invaluable this time of year because it's, you know, I typically ride in the mornings and when I wake up in the morning, it's pitch black and 40 degrees out and it's not exactly a good temperature to be riding at 20 miles an hour on your bicycle. So um, Sufferfest is basically, there's this dude, I think he's in Australia or New Zealand and either way, he'll probably be mad at me for not getting it right. But um, he (laughs) takes race footage and cuts it together into interval training, basically. So he'll kind of create like this kind of silly storyline, like, you know, you're racing up a mountain and your fans are on a train and you've got to get there before your fans get up there or something like that. And I'll cut it together with, with footage of, of actual race riders in the middle of, of a race. And they'll say, okay, so-and-so is attacking. So you need to get up and attack too, or, okay, you're on the downhill stretch now, so you can relax a little bit. And it turns what is normally the most boring and tedious thing in the world, which is riding on a stationary bike. It turns into this almost kind of a fun game sort of thing where you're actually challenging yourself to go harder and faster. And, you know, when I would do stationary training before, it was just, you know, I'd spin my wheels for 45 minutes and be done. But when you're watching these videos, you you kind of had to peel yourself off of the trainer because you are so exhausted. Uh, they're very, very powerful. So if you get the app, you can download the videos through the app, I think, for 15 bucks each. But if you just go to the website, I think they're 10 or 12 bucks each. So that is how I would do it. Then you have to, of course, add them to iTunes manually and sync them to your phone or whatever manually. Um, but it's a great series of videos. I've got like 20 different videos at this point for some of them are short. Some of them are long. Some of them are race simulations. If you really want to get into racing, which I'm trying to work myself up to, some of them are like uh, time trial type stuff. So uh, if you are trying to get a little bit more serious about road biking or trying to get into road biking, I would highly recommend it. Did you say time travel? Time, I may have. I meant to say time trial. Oh. <laughs> but I may have said time travel. I want to I see that one. I don't have an app for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> maybe, maybe next time I'll find an app for that and we can talk about that. Maybe it'll be EKG related. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of time travel, well, teleportation, actually. That's um, close enough. My second pick is iTeleport. And it's available. I obviously none of my picks are wellness related, but um, because I not well, I am not a well person. Keep well, uh, it interesting and mixed up, so that's good. There you give, go. Give the fans some variety. Um, I teleport is available for both iOS and Mac, and it's a VNC application allowing you to remotely use uh, Mac and well, remotely use a Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think. Don't think it works with Windows, but I could be wrong. I've never tried. I try to avoid that kind of thing. Um, but I bet you could make it work. Well, <laughs> you could always run like Parallels or VMware, right? Anyway, like uh, for on the Mac, uh, it's thirty bucks, and you can you can view all your other Macs. So I run like a Mac Mini headless mm-hmm. as a as my server, and that allows me to. It's a super crisp display, super fast refresh rate. Um, I can basically load it full screen on my Air, and it's as if I'm using the Mini entirely. And the built-in screen sharing in OS X is really quite good. And it 
it, the built-in one you can copy and paste uh you can sync your clipboards and you can drag files onto a remote screen and actually copy them which iTeleport doesn't have but you can work around it mm-hmm. um it is it's a better it's a faster better display to me and it and it's got a nice kind of control panel that shows you all available configured or bonjour uh connections and on the iPhone it's really slick uh, the i the iOS version is twenty dollars, and I should say on the iPad it's it's slicker than on the iPhone because you have the more s- screen real estate. Mm-hmm. But um, it is probably the other one that I use on iOS is called Screens, but iTeleport has become my my current favorite, and I don't know if I can necessarily quantify why. Uh, they Screens and iTeleport both have very good features. Uh, maybe just because it's what I'm using on my Mac, I've just opted for it on ios as well but it's pretty cool sounds good my picks this week are expensive yeah man i'm gonna stress saving up yeah i'm gonna have to invest in some of these i think <laughs> uh so my final one is free actually so that there you go. actually all, all these are free except for the videos and stuff professor not free but the app itself is free um is it called it's actually it's an android app is that okay yeah oh absolutely okay cool just checking uh, it's called Meditation Helper. Uh, I, in addition to all these other weird things that I do, I also meditate as much as I can or whenever I can. And uh, it's the kind of thing that, like a lot of other things that are good for you, you should kind of try to get into the habit of doing it. But it's also uh, difficult to get in the habit. So Meditation Helper is, actually has two great features. So on one hand, it's a really nice meditation timer. You can say, I want to meditate for 15 minutes. Uh, and it has kind of a really nice, simple chime sound. It doesn't sound like an a alarm clock going off. It's a real simple analog-sounding bell, uh, which is a nice and gentle way to start and to end your meditations. But it also has a cool widget, uh, which you can put on your desktop, and it will show you a calendar. It'll have a mark to indicate the days that you've actually meditated on. So you know if you miss a day, there's no mark on that day, then you can feel bad about yourself, and then you'll know that you should really do it the next day. So um, it's a real simple app, um, but and it's free, and I think it's great. That sounds that sounds useful to me. I uh, I've been trying to get into that habit uh, over the last couple of years. I've made several attempts, and I feel bad because the previous owner of this house, who happened to be my in laws, um, we bought this from them, and they had he had uh, a meditation room in the basement, and mm. it was really. It was an, it was intriguing. It was both a photo archive for his darkroom experiments, but also a meditation <laughs> room. And I turned uh, it into my office. Mm. And sometimes I feel like that was too harsh a transition for this room, going mm. from a nice, dark, relaxed atmosphere to my like three computers with six monitors. And <laughs> that is a very abrupt uh, change of <laughs> feel for a given room. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, if you start meditating again or if you can get yourself into a Zen-like state of mind when you're coding, then um, <clears throat> maybe it's not so bad. Maybe. I think there is a certain amount of truth to that. I think so, yeah. I've always enjoyed kind of losing yourself into code sometimes, so I think you can get there. Nailing, nailing regular expressions is uh, like when you get, – getting into like finding the exact right look ahead to, to – yeah, that, that I do find very Zen-like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But then again, I might not know what Zen really means. It means what you want it to mean. <laughs> that sounds Zen. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, my last pick is a web service uh, by the venerable Nick Winja. It's called Paperback. 
and it is designed for Pinboard, the bookmarking service, and it turns Pinboard into a very elegant read later, uh, kind of like similar to what you'd get with Instapaper. Uh, very basic, uh, full Vim keyboard navigation, and you can traverse through anything that you've marked as read later in Pinboard and read your articles um, and then archive or, or star them. And it's $15 a year, which is to me a good price for a sustainable service. And it is, I actually haven't tried it on iOS yet. I assume it works well on iOS. He's put a lot of attention to detail in. Let's assume it does. I'll, <laughs> I'll make a correction later if I have to, but, uh, but I use it on my MacBook air and it is, it's outstanding. And gorgeous. So how much would you say you spend on apps and services in a given month? Well, let's let's ask it like this. How much value? Mm-hmm. I get a lot of apps. I would say over 50% of the apps on my phone and on my Mac are uh, betas or free copies. It's good to be connected like you are then. It is. It is. If I had to buy all of the apps that I experiment with and, and use regularly... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd probably spend, it would probably be a hundred bucks a month. That's not bad. I don't think not for someone working in tech. Absolutely. For the yeah. average, for the average consumer, that's outrageous. Right. And, and all these apps make your life better in some way. And, and I'm totally at a point now where I'm willing to plunk down 10 bucks or 20 bucks or a hundred bucks. If it's something that makes my life better, you know, whether it makes a task that I do easier or more fun or, you know, whether it makes it easier to, yeah, whether it makes it easier to VNC into a remote machine that was clunky before using some free software, totally willing to punk on my credit card at this point. I, I am, I've been in that boat for a long time, but it's an interesting experiment to, uh, like I recently released software at $12 a pop, mm-hmm. which you know, like the race to the bottom kind of fizzled out and people are starting to raise the price of their apps. So I went, mm-hmm. I wanted to test this $12 zone and it really is, there's, there's a good portion of people that have been trying to think that $12 is expensive. Which is crazy because you have a hard time getting out of McDonald's for $12 yeah. these days. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, you know, a good 50% that think that's perfectly reasonable or even cheap. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of test that water. Um, and then, you know, with things like iThoughtsX selling at $60, I, I would love to talk to him about not just sales numbers, but the reaction, the general reaction. Because right. you hear mostly from people who are upset in any situation. You hear the most and the loudest voices from those who are upset, not from those who are uh, happy with the uh, the price point. But if you look at these these mega project management UML sort of suites that would include that plus, you know, a bunch of other use case stuff, you know, those things are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So if you can take that element out of it and do it in a, a, a great way, um, that price seems fair to me. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And uh, how does Adobe manage to because that to <laughs> me to me adobe software is overpriced uh, and yeah. not because it lacks features just because it i don't know they've got the market saturation to an extent where they can charge exorbitant amounts 
Yeah, that's exactly it. They've got the recognition and they've got so many people hooked on all their macros and all their keyboard combinations and everything else where, you know, there are competitors out there. But I mean, to be fair, Lightroom is a great application and their their apps that they offer are are very, very good. But yeah, and when they launched the... um, the, the services pricing not that long ago, uh, you know, there was uh, there was hope for me anyway that it would be kind of uh, not affordable, but a, a reasonable way of getting into this this suite. But it's it's even less practical for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just had to buy Lightroom, uh, and it was yeah, it was it was it was quite expensive. Uh, but it, it was also uh, I priced out the monthly plan, and it was just ridiculous that I would even think of going that way because you know within a year I would have spent more money than just buying it outright, and now I have it on both my Mac and my PC for the same price. So. So I think they've got to figure that out. Um, but yeah, I think they could. I, I think they're in for a bit of a rude awakening when some more apps come out that are a little bit more uh, competitive to them. And and there are like in the photo editing arena, there are some great like co- comparatively cheap mm-hmm. apps that are really uh, there's the, there's the core like design community that will probably never get away from Adobe, no matter how much they actually wanted to. But for the average consumer who wants to do Photoshop-like things and Illustrator-like things, they can buy for fifty or sixty dollars what Adobe is charging five to six hundred for. Yeah, absolutely. And Apple just keeps getting iPhoto better and better and better on on the iOS platform. And I, I figure it's only a matter of time before they do something great. Um, this is part of Mac OS uh, and just kind of blow everybody out of the water. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that comes to pass before too long. I. I would not be surprised either. Same in uh, in audio editing. Mm. GarageBand's getting really impressive. I I run Logic. I I I decided I wanted that extra flexibility. Mm-hmm. But really, some of the best stuff I've ever recorded has been in GarageBand. Mm. But then again, maybe I'm just really bad at recording. <laughs> that is one area that I have little expertise in. So I uh, I sadly have nothing to add to that conversation. That's all right. Um, let's take our last maybe sponsor break. I don't even know how many sponsors to plan for. So I'm going to assume there are three. And if there are, it'll start right now. Shutterstock.com, where you'll find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and 1 million video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. Choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new since they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos each week. And it's more affordable than you think with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via Lightboxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. Mm -hmm. 
There's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, they get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips, should you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. They also have 24-hour support during the week. Aw, yeah. Sign up for a free browse account. Go to Shutterstock.com. No credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME1013 and get 25% off any package you put together over at Shutterstock.com. Was there a break? Was I don't know. I don't know if there was a sponsor there. If well, there the was, you could put a plug in for your um, for the bed and breakfast in New Hampshire if you wanted to. Although that's right, you, you said they're closed down, so I guess yeah, that wouldn't, wouldn't. yeah, they're closed down, and I don't remember their names, so that would just kind of fizzle. Two, two strikes against. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. You are. We're, we're at the we're at the end of the show. By the way, mm. I don't want to. I don't want to make this weird, but um, <laughs> uh, I should hang up is what you're saying. <laughs> no, just quietly hang up. <laughs> Let's see. You're Tim underscore Stevens with a V on a Twitter. V. That's correct. And yes. uh, are you on app.net? Uh, yes. And I believe I'm the same handle. Boy, it's been a while since I've actually done much on app.net, but yes, I, have, I think I have the same handle on app.net if I remember correctly. And you blog personally at digital com, Right. And uh, and you blog professionally at CNET.com. That's correct. Though I haven't had much time for the former. Uh, I've been spending most of my time at the latter. What uh, what does the name Digital Displacement come from? So, I, I like I said, I got my start doing the freelance video game thing uh, in the, you know, around 97, something like that. Uh, around, I think it was around 2003, uh, it was getting pretty hard to get freelance reviewing gigs. Uh, and there weren't really many options out there for racing game reviews there wasn't anybody i thought who was doing that that area well um so i started i decided to start my own site doing racing game reviews which is you know i, I always tell people if you're gonna get started writing and launch a site pick a niche and just own it and that was that was what i decided to, to go for um so i needed uh, i needed a name and there's this phrase in racing that there's no replacement for displacement which means, you know, if you've got a big American V8, you're going to beat anything with a turbo or with a supercharger. So I decided to go digital displacement because video games are replacing the racing experience for, for a lot of people. So so that was my cheeky reference to um, that old American adage of big motors beat everything, basically. But now it's got kind of a, a different meaning um, in a lot of ways, which you can interpret in your own way if you want to. Yeah, I, I, I would have to say that my interpretation would not have been anywhere close to the original. What was uh, your interpretation? That it's about uh, like a metaphysical kind of displacement in a digital age. Hmm. Which is pretty good too. <laughs> Entirely different. And far more relevant to what I'm working on these days because <laughs> I haven't had time to do a video game review in a very long time. Do you still play a lot of games? As much as I can, yeah. Um, these days, I'm kind of getting more into the the retro collecting thing. In fact, when I was in Tokyo last week, I spent a lot of time chasing down uh, old retro video games that I wanted, uh, and and kind of finding there are these amazing amazing shops in, in Tokyo of, of classic video games, and they're all like you know pristine, perfectly preserved. Every tie wrap is on the consoles and everything else. It's pretty amazing. 
So, uh, yeah, I do play games as much as I can. I don't have a lot of time for it uh, for obvious reasons, but, uh, but I do whenever I can. Sounds like what a lot of people do with music, where you get to a certain point in life where you're done with new music, and you start chasing, <laughs> chasing the music of your childhood and really, like, really re-enjoying places you've been and things that hold a lot of sentimental value for you. I wonder what that says about us as a species. I think it's just a normal part of development. Uh, like, from your, from your teen years through maybe the age of 40... I think you you have a more open mind to new things, but I think there's an actual chemical change. And I, I think this because I've read about it, mm-hmm. but a chemical uh, like physiological change that makes you kind of stop accepting new input. Not to say you become closed minded or curmudgeonly or anything. Just that you begin to... It's just a coincidence that you become closed minded. <laughs> Some of us do. Some of us. Um, but yeah, and it's kind of like, uh, in your teen years, you, you, there are certain parts of your brain that are still forming and the idea of like idealistic activism and things like that are a lot easier to latch onto, uh, between like, I think it's like 15 and 20. And then that kind of your, your views tend to set into place at that point. And, uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the problems that people complain about with teenagers are actually... There, there are neural neurological explanations for moodiness and biologic conflict between old and new, and yeah, acceptance yeah. of exciting things and, and desire for quiet and solitude. Yeah, I, I wonder how exactly that's going to affect those of us in this technology industry because, you know, whether you're coding uh, or you're writing about technology, a lot of that is acceptance of of change and embracing change. Um, you know, programming changes so incredibly quickly these days you know there's a new language popping up every week it seems like and new tools and, and everything else and if you don't stay on top of that then ultimately that's going to be somewhat um inhibitive to your career growth and the same thing if you're in tech journalism i mean ultimately my job is finding new cool things and writing about them and making other people excited about them too <clears throat> and if i can't do that you know comprehensively and convincingly uh that could be a, a bit of a challenge show i'm I'm curious to see um to see how that how that affects our careers going forward yeah i think uh i think it will have a if it's true a vast effect across the spectrum i'll shift over to being like dvorak here in a couple of years and i'll just hate, <laughs> hate everything i was gonna say the line between a positive and negative review could be entirely curmudgeon based <laughs> You know, it, it, there are certainly some elder statesmen within the tech industry who come with a much more negative angle to a lot of this stuff. So I suppose you could look for a biological <laughs> essence of that as well. All right. Well, that became a whole segment on its own. That did. That was fun. But uh, but we will wrap there. And uh, thank you a lot, Tim Stevens, for showing up today. Yeah, thank you very much, Brett. It's been great to talk to you. I hope your travels are, uh, we'll just say, good luck and Godspeed. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. And, uh, and we will see everybody in one week. That was episode 66 of Systematic. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.